1: or online at victoriassecret.com
0: Welcome to the Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio, in partnership with iHeartRadio. And I say, you are not Mm -hmm. a DJ
3: until you have DJed to a room of black queens standing there with their arms folded, looking at you, saying, I'm waiting for you to turn them out. And those girls are unforgiving. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I say, you are not a DJ until you play to the children in New York, because if you do not turn them, you're out. Work.
0: You're out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Laverne Cox Show. I'm Laverne Cox. Oh! Okay, I'm so excited. I'm squealing. Because I get to talk to my old friend, my dear friend, the now Grammy Award-winning producer, DJ, fashion designer, historian, living legend, Honey Dijon. This was an historic year at the Grammys. Kim Petris won, and a lot of people have been talking about her as the first openly trans person to win a Grammy. She's not. Wendy Carlos won a Grammy in, I think, the late 1960s for electronic music, interestingly enough. And Honey Dijon also won a Grammy, and she is an openly transgender woman as well. And... That just makes me so excited. It's really interesting thinking about where Honey and I come from. We worked at a coffee shop at the same time. We were in the scene at the same time in the 90s. Struggled in New York. And she has been traveling the world DJing and is renowned and revered and she's living her best life and she's doing it on her own terms and that is such an incredible privilege for anyone to be able to do but particularly for a black trans woman from the south side of chicago Honey Dijon is an iconic American DJ, producer, electronic musician, and fashion designer, renowned for not adhering to any particular genre. She's performed at the most exclusive clubs, festivals, galleries, and fashion events worldwide. She has released five albums, including Best of Both Worlds and her newest, Black Girl Magic. Her Boiler Room set posted on YouTube has been viewed over 10 million times. In 2019, in collaboration with Comme des Garcons, she released her Honey Fucking Dijon fashion line as an expression of art, music, and culture colliding. She is now a Grammy award-winning producer for her work on Beyonce's Renaissance. Please enjoy my conversation with Honey Dijon. Let's do this. Honey, fucking Dijon, welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today?
3: I am actually, well, I just finished yoga, so I'm very zen at the moment.
0: Mm. But I'm great. I'm really, really great. You've been doing yoga for years, right? Like, it's like your it's one of your things, yes? You know, wellness
3: is one of my things. I've actually... It's so funny that you say that because I've been thinking about over the course of my life and I was just explaining to a friend of mine that I stopped eating meat at 19 and I've always been into wellness. It's just something that I was very attracted to at a time when it wasn't in, in a cultural conversation, um, yeah. but it's one of my stress relievers. It's one of my things that just helps me let go of of the daily Grind that we all have, and I have a Peloton bike which I'm obsessed with. I have a trainer, and I do yoga.
0: And I was thinking about this. You know, we're going to get into this, but like, I know you like to do twelve-hour DJ sets, and you have a lot of energy yeah. when you're DJing. I'm just like, how? What is the stamina? What is the fitness? Because I, I know you don't talk about age, but like, at my, I'm fifty, right? right. I am not in the. I, if I go to the club and. <laughs> I'm like recovering for days. So (laughs) to have the stamina to give what you give, I'm just like, how is she doing? Like, she is like fully present, giving everything. And like, like, you have to be in amazing shape.
3: You know what? I asked my mom about this and she said, this is a true story. When I was a kid, I came in the world with so much energy that they wanted to put me on Ridlin when I was a kid Mm. and my mom refused she's like I'm not doing that it's just me Mm. it's just my fire it's just my passion it's just who I am and I always think of myself as a vessel for the universe to express itself and this is just my universal energy I came into the universe with an unlimited supply of fuel
0: that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I, <laughs> and I literally, I was thinking about back in the day, we've known each other for a while, I was thinking back, back in the 90s when I would see you dancing and performing. Right. And it just was electric. And it there was know. just popping off of you. The
3: Tasmanian devil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. So I DM'd you last year. I, the I, the Beyonce album had come out, and I remember I DM'd you, mm-hmm. and I was just so happy and so proud. And I mean, we've known each other for a very long time. Yes, and you called me, and we talked for like two hours. And we were we were talking about music in New York in the nineties, and like yes. Soul and Marvin Gaye and like, we went in and I was like, girl, we need to do this on the podcast and let the children know. Let the children know, yes. You're such a historian. You're such um, of music, of fashion. But let's start with you are now Grammy Award winning producer. Oh my god. Yes. Have you been able to process that now? That means mama can add another zero to the hero,
3: honey. Um... (laughs) <laughs> the prices just went up, honey. Yes, <laughs> today's price is not
0: yesterday's price, baby. Girl, I Girl. feel I, there was a moment when I raised my prices too, honey. Yes, honey. Uh, <laughs> know your worth. Know your worth. But beyond raising the price, beyond that, thinking about growing up in Chicago. DJing for your parents right before bedtime, yes, discovering yes. house music, and you know, in Chicago at the beginning of it, just that kid who just was creative and who was bullied, and now you have worked with Madonna, Beyonce. I mean, the list goes on and right, on. You have right, a Grammy, and right. it's like it's this. You've been a legend for a long time. For real. My brother was in Berlin um, last year or something, and he met some people and he said, oh, I'm from New York. And they were like, do you know Honey Dijon? Do you know Honey Dijon? She's she's so amazing. Do you, do you And they just, they were just like, they lost their minds. Just like, for people who know right. you are a legend and an icon and what has been so beautiful for me... Reading a bit about you, knowing you for so long is that you've resisted being commercial, right? That house music has changed so much and Mm -hmm. you stay true to your roots and to who Mm. you are and what you love and what excites you. And there are new sounds, but then there's always something that is about your roots that's there. And Mm. one other thing I want to say, too, there was a moment... Many years ago, um, you were um, DJing at Hero in New York City, and that mm-hmm. was a time. That was a time, and Connie Fleming was working the door. Yes, and I remember we got there. I we got there early, and there was an opening DJ. I don't know who the DJ was. People were just sitting around. There was no energy. Right. I was like, this party is tired <laughs> and late, and I was like, I want to wait for Honey to come on and DJ, but I don't know if I can stay here
2: <laughs> right. for this. You know,
0: but girl, it was people weren't dancing. It was a sad sight. Right. And then you came on and d- and started DJing, and people were up dancing. The molecules of the space shifted. Well, that's what I say. Yeah. That to me yeah. though is like. I understood something that I didn't understand before about what a great DJ does. That Mm. it was the same room, it was the same people, but all of a sudden, something shifted. It, It became something spiritual. It became something, when we were in Toronto... Mm. and I, um, and you um, convinced me to come out and I was shooting Rocky Horror in 2016 and we came out to the club I said to Deja girl let's stay 20 minutes it's, you know go so high because I was tired I was shooting a
3: movie I was
0: shooting Rocky Horror picture show actually oh, right, so right. I was singing and dancing and doing Epsom salt baths girl I was like going through it <laughs> so I was like let's stay 20 minutes and I'm going to go home and go to sleep Girl, we were. I think we closed the club. I was dancing. I was sweating. You got me together, and I and I had. It was a religious experience, and it reminded me of when I first moved to New York in 1993, and I was to go to Webster Hall right. and just dance all night. I didn't care about boys. I put my look together, and I went out and I danced, and I had a, a spiritual experience and awakening. The spirit, mm-hmm. the Holy Ghost, got me. You know, on the mm-hmm. dance floor, and that is what you give, and that is so. I don't, and you probably don't know how you do it. You just do it. But I guess you're channeling. I think when you say that you're channeling the energy of the universe, it's just you let it come through you. Well, I mean, there's lots of,
3: just to go back to the beginning of what you said, that I've never changed who I was. I think, and maybe you can relate to this, when you are marginalized within the marginalization, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I've always felt invisible. And one of the Mm. things that I said to myself a long time ago, since I'm invisible, it's actually given me a freedom Mm. to just really be myself. And because if I... If I can't fit into your narrative, then I might as well just be who I am. Mm. And I realized, no matter how successful that I became or what visibility that I came, that I had to be okay with me. I had to validate me. I had to be the one that gave me permission to do the things that I wanted to do. And... You know how it was back in the day in New York, or the streets of New York, being fired and hired and fired and hired and fired and hired. <laughs> I didn't, and like you didn't know if you were going to be able to pay your rent or eat or whatever. And I yeah. just realized that gave me a tenacity to just be the most authentic person that I could be. And mm-hmm. and I never expected, you know, when you said to me, um, "Have I processed this?" No, because you know, as we both transitioned in on the streets of New York. My success in life is that I survived, that I'm oh. healthy, that I'm here, that I'm thriving, that I have gotten to a place where I can have healthy relationships with other people and with myself. And one of the things that I realized, no matter what I achieve in in my life, I survived as a black trans woman and I never had to do anything um, outside of my art. And mm. That, to me, is my success. Girl, you and I both know what it took to just get through the day in New York City and get home in one piece. And so the fact that we're here and what you've achieved and what I've achieved, you know, i th- that's momentous. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: It really is. It's so deep. It's it's
3: so deep. And it's and it's so hard to explain this to people. So I haven't processed it. You know, there's been so many things going on. I relocated to London. Um, uh, I, I just had an album released besides my own. So I've been touring that and it's nonstop touring. I just came off an Australian tour. So it's really been one thing after the next. I'm working on my next album. I have a fashion collection with Come de Garcon. So I, I haven't had a chance to sit down and say, bitch. What have you done? It's more like, bitch, on to the next. And so what I do process is I live in gratitude. I am so grateful that I get to get up every day and choose what my day looks like. That to me is what propels me. You know, I always love the thing that you said and I use it and I stole it from you. I don't want to be a role model. I want to be a role possibility. And that for me hits so deep and so differently.
0: I say possibility model, actually. Possibility model. Possibility model. And so I took that
3: and I said, be the thing you wish to see in the world. Oh,
0: Let's take it all the way back to the beginning for you. And, and being being a teenager in Chicago and going to the clubs, was there a Chicago club? Because I knew you went to a lot of different clubs and got a lot of different influences and in music, which is so fantastic. But was there one club or two clubs in Chicago that really like, this is what shaped me? This was the, or this was just a moment that I'm so happy I was there for.
3: I think, so, if we want to go back to the beginning, my parents were music lovers, Mm -hmm. and so, I got my first musical education from their record collection. They used to have basement parties, and my parents loved to party, and I think I inherited that gene from them. So mm. my musical education first started with a lot of music from the seventies, the OJ's, Donna Summer.
0: My mother had OJ's and um, Four Tops tapes yeah. too, honey. So yes, me too.
3: <laughs> and so every Friday night was family night, and we would get pizza and dance together and play music together, and you know my mother said when I was a baby, whenever we would come in the house, she she said the first thing that I would want to do is I want to play records. I want to play records. So I literally think that, and I say this with all humility, that I was born to do this. Clearly. This was my purpose in life. And so that was the beginning of my musical education. And as Chicago being the birthplace of house music, a lot of early house music parties were done in high school auditoriums, Catholic high school auditoriums. And I went to a Catholic high school. And so we used to have they used to have a lot of parties in the gymnasium. And that's where I first heard disco records. And Because house music is really, Frankie says this, you know, house music is disco's revenge. Because yes. there was a there was a backlash against disco. I don't know if you know about the Comiskey Park of and course. Burning Yeah.
0: So, but for the people who don't know, we should tell people who don't know. Do you want to tell them?
3: Yes. So there was, in Chicago, there was a disc jockey called Steve Dahl. Mm -hmm. and what was happening, disco was becoming very commercial.
0: It was very commercial. It was super mainstream. It was main, it was, yeah.
3: Yeah, and so during a baseball game, Comiskey Park, um, he did a disco demolition and where he had fans bring in their disco records and blow up their disco records. But the thing that most Mm -hmm. people don't know about the mainstream, or let's just put it white people, didn't realize they weren't grabbing disco records, they were grabbing R&B records. Anything that had to do with black music, they related to disco. And Mm -hmm. as you know, Chicago is an extremely racist town. And so basically this was a form of racism and homophobia. And so there was this big disco demolition and and then, then it turned into this big vandalism and everything. And so there was this big backlash. And so then disco became uncool and unpopular. And then all of a sudden overnight it was out. But it never was out with black people and it mm-hmm. was never out with black queer people and it just went underground and then it resurfaced and this was late 70s and then in the early 80s technologies synthesizers drum machines became accessible and that's where the bridge happened and house music was born from disco into this early synth pop and early drum machines and all of that and so i just happened to be born At a time and place at the beginning of a subculture and a cultural movement that we now know as house music that went on to change the world. But it was predominantly played in Black and Latin gay clubs.
0: Can we just pause there just for a second? Because when I was thinking about this earlier, I thought about when when Renaissance came out last year and how a lot of Beyonce's fans who like are hip hop heads and are a lot of her black fans were like, this dance music is white. This dance music is gay. Right. Right. And not understanding that this music is black music. Right. So what I think has been so beautiful about this Renaissance moment is that I think people have become educated to know and understand that dance music has always been black music. And honestly, any pop music in the world all comes from Black music.
3: Let's get it correct, honey. If it's not classical from Europe, it's anything American-based comes yes. from Black music.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, like, history repeats, right? The, the homophobia yes. and racism that had, you know, Disco Sucks burn these um, records. What's happening as Beyonce, this, like, huge, you know, global Black artists comes out with a tribute to dance music and to queer culture. Um, And people are kind of having a similar reaction.
3: This is also part of my work because, you know, I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but I often talk about how house music has been colonized and, and corporatized and how it's been so far removed from the people that have created it that Black people don't even know that house music is Black music now. Mm, and that's that's a shame. Yeah. So I always, that's why I constantly talk about the roots of this culture, the roots of this music. It's Black queer music. It came from Black queer culture. It was spaces for Black people to celebrate themselves. And also, what I also talk about is house music was born at the same time as the AIDS epidemic happened. So house yes. music, so there's a lot of intersectionality with AIDS with gayness, with blackness, and having safe spaces for people to get educated about medical care, for them to find love, for them to feel free, to be less stigmatized. Um, so, for me, it's very, very important to keep this conversation going. Otherwise, it's going to be lost. So, yeah. Getting, so, getting back to thank that, you. Yeah. So, getting back to that, my early roots of this music stems from the fact that I was exposed to this culture very early. And back in Chicago, you did your homework because there were so many talented DJs that we had to know the source of the music that we were playing. So not only did I get an education in music, but I also got an education in the culture and the people who birthed this multi-billion dollar industry that we now call dance music.
0: Yeah. That's, I love, I love that. You just reminded me of Andre Leon yes. And he's like, I did my homework. I knew, I knew this reference. I knew where this came from. Yeah. And it's so, and I love to, you know, you've talked about publicly um, when Beyonce's team approached you to um, produce some tracks for her, that you sent her things to read and you yes. sent her Paris yeah. is burning so she could understand the history and the culture that she was delving into yes. as she embarked on this. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
3: Well, I mean, I was very humbled when her team approached me. They said they wanted to go to the source of Chicago house music, and I was very humbled because the source for me were people like Frankie Knuckles and Ron Hardy and Derek yes. Carter. So the yes. fact that I was considered among those people was very humbling for me. Mm-hmm.
0: But I, felt... but that's because you stay true to yourself. That's because you stay true to you. Yeah, right. Well, like I always love
3: this quote: "You might as well be yourself because everybody else is taken." Amen. So, um. But what I wanted to do is, because you know how the children are, honey, if if, if you don't come correct, they're going to come for you. And she has such a huge, huge gay f- following, black gay following, trans following, that I really wanted her to get it correct. And she did such an amazing job of dissecting and digesting and understanding what she was getting into. And I have so much respect and admiration for the fact that she did her homework, and it comes through in the music. But I Mm -hmm. sent her dissertations on Paris is Burning and records that were played in the clubs in New York and and records that were played in the clubs in Chicago, because unless you were there, you would not know. And so Mm -hmm. I think that was what I wanted her to understand because there would have been no way for her to connect the dots unless she had the source material. So it was very important for me, like, you need to see this, you need to see Conti, Witch Doctor, uh, what they were playing at Webster Hall, doing Runway, Sound Factory. These were the classics of Sound Factory, you know, because I think the frame of reference now is the poses and, and all of these things, which is really great, but those are built on legacies that have gone before. Paris is Burning. Let's talk about what went before that. And so the Harlem balls, you know, the Queen... There's, there's a legacy to our culture that has been erased. And so for me, let's go before Paris is burning. The girls have been around for, for forever. Let's talk about the pinups in the Ebony and Jet magazine. The girls have yes. been here, you know. Yes,
0: Ajita Wilson was a Jet beauty of the week, and they did not know that she was trans, honey. At all. And the body. Now we kind of can spook the body a little bit, yes. like the silicone, and we can My spook a little man. bit. They didn't know then. Yes. <laughs> Oh girl.
3: <laughs> they didn't know. So there's a legacy of our culture and our music, and that I just really wanted her to understand or just even come into contact so she could make the best record that she could be as a love letters to black music, and which encompassed disco and house and gospel. and I mean, this record for me is not just a dance record. it just it touches on all the sort of black music that is body and spiritual music church girl, you know. That's so much of what you do when you
1: DJ.
0: Yeah. Gotta take a teensy break here. I'll be fast.
1: Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen, very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron.
0: Okay, we're back.
2: So you're in Chicago.
0: It's, it's, you know, the beginning of house music. Was there a moment? Was there a song? I mean, I know you, you've been collecting records since, the, since birth. You know, since, uh, since birth. Yeah. Was there a moment in Chicago? What, what was the club for you or the space? I mean, I,
3: I would probably have to say when I was about 13 or 14 years old, there was a, a skating rink. Because I used to have uh, parties and skating rinks. And I remember, I don't remember the song, but I remember dancing and getting so lost in the music that I had an out-of-body experience. Mm. I could literally see myself dancing. And it was so transcendental that I said to myself, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And then as I got older and started going out, I became friends with the second wave of DJs in Chicago house music. This is the early nineties. And this was the Derek Carters, and Mark Farinas, the Green Velvets. And I used to go to a lot of loft parties and underground parties. You have to realize um, at that time, because everyone's like, how were you going out so young? Well, first of all, there were juice bars. And second of all, Black spaces were not policed the way their spaces are now. Mm -hmm. You know, no one gave a shit. No one gave a shit what black gay people were doing. So, you know, you had clubs where I could go. There was, honey, there's so many. Cheeks was the trans club I went to. Bistro 1 and 2 was an 18 and over club. Uh, Windy City was a gay white club that had house nights, um, um, AKA's subterranean. was a club that Derek Carter used to play. at. I used to go hear him play. I mean, there've been so many pivotal moments for me that it's hard to pinpoint
0: one, wow. but I just remember the skating rink sounds powerful when you, when you leave your body. Yeah, Yeah. I've, yeah,
3: I've left my body a couple of times and that was yeah, one of too. them. And, and I realized that and you have to understand, I didn't know that this was a career choice. This was purely everything I have in my life was purely from a deep love of wanting to be a part of something and contribute to it. Mm-hmm. So for me, those pivotal moments were the skating rinks, the, the underground clubs in Chicago. Um, that was my community. And the thing about it, it was so multicultural and no one cared about your gender expression or who you were. If you were into this music, you were included.
0: I love that. So let's let's get to New York. Let's get to New York, and let's get to New York. We met in New York. We won't say the year. We met in New York. Hey. And so, what was the club when when you started going out in New York? Do you remember where you went out? Oh my and god! What was yes. Like exciting for you. We
3: had the best schooling in New York from the clubs there. The best schooling. Yeah. It was diverse. You know, we had. Escuelita, where the girls went to perform. We had Sound Factory. We had Twilo. We had
0: save. You, w- there was so much. But you, those clubs, when because I, I think about, I was thinking about that. I was, yeah. I was, um, I was watching an interview of yours, and you were talking about your favorite disco song ever, which is Doctor Love. Yes. And then it made me think about First Choice and um, Let No Man Put Asunder, and that. Yes. That is my. That's my shit. Yeah, and there yeah, was yeah. a remix. There was a remix. Don't you want some more? Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Don't. That.
3: It's Let's Go, Let's Go by Fast Daddy. Don't, 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 yes. you them all. let's go, let's go. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. That yes. was, that was, that took me through, that was a moment for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think at Webster Hall, like that was a mo- So I was just thinking about like the musical influences in house and like I would love to kind of go back to some of mm. those influences.
3: Yeah. So, um, The person that was my entree into New York was Gant Johnson. Yes, yes, yes. Gant Gant Johnson was the friend of a roommate of Derek Carter. And I was Mm -hmm. moving, and he sort of like, oh, you should stay with me when you come to New York. And at that time, he was DJing he was one of the, the big East Village DJs. You know, at that time, there was yes. the West Village and the
0: East Village. And so Oh, yes. And I was an East Village girl. I was an East Village girl when I first moved. I, got,
3: I was an East Village queen, too. So um, when I got to New York, he sort of introduced me. And, and I, like you said, I was a club dancer before. And so um, Lady Bunny saw me dancing and then I became a Wigstock dancer. And that's how I met everyone. And I think the club... That really turned me out in New York was
0: Twilo. Yes, I forget the years of Twilo. I went to Twilo back in the day, and I believe Danny Tenaglia. Danny
3: Tenaglia was the resident
0: DJ. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. What a what a moment. What a time. what a moment. Yes. Girl, Where we was had... Twilo? I forget what what part of town was that in Chelsea?
3: Twilo, the original spot for Twilo was Sound Factory. Mmm. Five three one West Twenty Seventh Street. Where Twenty Seventh between Tenth and Eleventh. Mm.
0: Hmm. Wow. That. Oh, that was just. And I know Danny was a major influence for you as yes. a DJ. Yes. Uh, yeah, would it be right to say he was a mentor of sorts?
3: Yes. Derek Carter and Danny Tenaglia are my biggest mentors and influences as, as how I express my craft.
0: Let's talk about um, Twilo. With Twilo, what was how would you describe the vibe? Cuz the kids want to know. How would you describe the energy and the vibe at, at Twilo at that time? And I think I'm thinking early 90s was Twilo, maybe mid 90s.
3: It was mid 90s to uh, 2000. Um Twilo was the epitome of a legacy of historic clubs in New York City. If we start from David Mancuso's The Loft, mm-hmm. Nicky Siano's The Gallery, Larry LeVan, The Paradise Garage. Junior Uh Vasquez, The Sound Factory. Um, Then it goes to Twilo. Frankie Knuckles was the original resident DJs before Danny. It was like going into another world and one of the things that I loved about that time. Slow down?
0: Actually I would love to slow down I lo- you just gave us like this major history lesson
2: <laughs> right now
0: like you really did and I kind of want to slow it down can you, can you talk about the thread from the loft to Paradise Garage to sound, can, what would you say is that link between all those clubs and that tradition?
3: It's church mm. it's a temple mm. um, God you know clubs for me are places of worship, celebration, sexual expression, music, release. It removes and strips all hierarchies of society. It doesn't matter your religion, your socioeconomic status, uh, your gender expression. It's the one place where you can go and truly be who you are. And music is the backbone of humanity, of universal energy, of love, of expression. And I think when you think about these temples in New York City, it was the Mecca. You know, these clubs, those were the blueprints to what we know as clubbing today. Ministry of Sound in London was based on Sound Factory. Mm -hmm. Some of the biggest clubs in the world are based on the templates and the roots of club culture in New York City. Amen. Amen.
0: And I think it's for me, it's important to note. And and, and in an interview I saw of yours, you talked about how everyone partied together gay, straight, trans in the 90s. This is what I loved about. Going out in the '90s is that everybody partied together, like and literally, like you know, I, there were moments when Leonardo DiCaprio was like two feet away, or you yeah. know, a, a famous people. Everybody was just together, you know. We were all in the same section, and it was just everybody was dancing and partying together. It wasn't this gay straight hierarchy, bottle service, whatever thing, and it that was so magical. And I just that's what I, that's one of the things I loved about nightlife in New York is that you could go out. And it was, it felt, I mean, I don't know how democratized it was because you couldn't get in if you didn't have a look in certain places or you had to this pay what a lot. Uh, <laughs> this is what I tell people.
3: Well, can, can I just back up a moment? Can I just please, back up Please, yes,
0: please. This is what
3: I tell people all the time because people say to me, like, I say, girl, you could not get in a club unless you had a look or you had a fierce repartee or, like... Or, or you, you just had to have some. You had to contribute to the party instead of just buying a ticket. And you could afford to be in the party. It didn't matter how much money you made. Yeah, that came later with with gentrification and Giuliani and bottle service and the Meatpacking District and all that crap. But before that, honey, you had to contribute to be invited into the party.
0: The first time I came to New York and I was at Indiana University and I came to um, audition for a dance theater of Harlem, actually, and I was staying up in Bronxville. And then I went i was went down to the club and I had my look that I got from the Salvation Army. I was yes! in my leopard print phase and I went to Limelight and, they were, and the people I was staying with, they were like, people don't get into Limelight. And I was just like, well, let's see what happens. Girl, I walked right up they looked me up and down and opened the velvet robes and I went right in, girl. Yes. And it was. it was amazing, especially coming from being bullied and being an outcast and being like...
3: But that's what New York was. You know, New York was a place for misfits. And so, yeah. you know, it's so funny because, you know... People, when you say, oh, I'm an icon and I have this, I'm like, girl, back in New York, you had to have something to contribute for kids to see you. And I still live by that. Like, that's very important to me to contribute instead of just consume. Mm,
0: Absolutely. So there's you dancing, you know, being a dancer. There's you buying records and collecting records. And then I remember all of a sudden you were DJing and people were like, Oh, she's turning, it, you know, <laughs> like that was the talk, you know, when, Oh, honey's DJing now. Oh, she's fierce. Oh, she's getting the party start. You know what I mean? Right. So, that, so how did that transition happen to DJing?
3: Um, well, so it was born out of necessity, not hearing music the way I wanted to hear it expressed, And, you know, I'll give you a great example. Um, In New York, there was all this separation in music. You went to Shelter if you wanted to hear more soulful things. You went to Twilo to hear more tribal stuff. You went to Cafe Kunleche for more tribal house. You went to uh, this Save the Robots for more techno. And we didn't have this separate genres and clubs in Chicago. It all went together. So I Mm. thought, I have all these records, why didn't I play the way I heard it in Chicago? And, you know, it was great that I got to go to all these different environments, but I thought, why not just do it the way I had experienced it? So I just started DJing in that way. And I started Mm. at a little club on Eldridge street called Bob and made no money. I basically DJ for drinks and my Mm -hmm. friend Ted, my friend Ted Patterson came and heard me play and he, asked me to come DJ his birthday party, which was held at King. I don't know if you remember King. I remember King. Girl, oh, girl. girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so girl. I, I DJed at King and they thought I was really great. And it went from once every other month to once a month to once every two weeks to having a residency. And that was the beginning of me DJing in New York.
0: Mm. I love that. And I feel like immediately, I don't know how, was, just from the outside, just the talk, there was, it, there was, I just remember rumblings, Honey's DJing, Honey's turning it. And I just remember, um, I, you know, I love hearing Kevin Alvionce on Beyonce's album because, you know, I worked with Kevin.
3: Yes, yes, I remember. A dancer.
0: I was the second country. I was the, um, after this language, Honey, you need to just look it up because we just need to talk the way we need to talk. <laughs> to the audience out there, right, right. I was um, the second country after Naomi because she retired, and Kevin had auditions, and I auditioned, and I and so it was actually I was working with Kevin when his first album box of chocolates came out, and I just remember Kevin, he was kind of being shady about another person who had just started DJing, but was saying they should do it like honey. <laughs> 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 Keep it 100. The girls do not play when it comes
3: to the beats. If you are not, I always say, honey, the best lesson that I ever got DJing is when Danny Krivit asked me to DJ in the basement of 718 Sessions. And I say, you are not mm-hmm. a DJ until you have DJed to a room of black queens standing there with their arms folded, looking at you saying, I'm waiting for you to turn them out. And those girls are unforgiving. Mm-hmm. So
0: one of the things that
3: I say, you are not a DJ until you play to the children in New York because if you do not turn them, you're out work. You're out. Yeah. They don't give you yeah. a second chance. Like, oh, I'm not. what? No. The girls don't play. New York, it's a great schooling and it's really true. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere because the kids, and it's not about shade. They love the culture and the music so much and they respect it. You can't play with their time and you can't play
0: with their ears. So you have to bring it. And it's the best schooling I ever got. Absolutely. Can we, one of the things I love about you is your your relationship specifically to artists like Grace Jones, Basquiat and the relationship between art, fashion and music and Mm, avant-garde. And I, I love that. I mean, you have a fashion line that, that, when we look at your line, I don't know if they're prints from Herring and Basquiat or just inspired by... Oh,
3: no, darling. It's the source. I work with the foundations. It's the actual artist's work that I reinterpret through clothing. So Honey Fucking Dijon is the clothing line that I have with Comme des Garcons. Mm -hmm. And basically, I use clothing to communicate culture and subculture, queer culture, black culture and artists and music and the intersectionality between art, music and culture because nightclubs were those incubators of all of those things that I love. So for me I try to keep these conversations as a griot. If you don't know what a griot is, it's black vernacular and it's basically a griot is an African storyteller. So basically I'm a storyteller. I've anointed myself an ambassador of black queer art.
0: I love it. What is so beautiful about that too is that in in the '90s, specifically in the club scene, it was about the music, but it was about the look. It was about the fashion. Everything, and, and the kids were bringing looks. They were designing their own things, and 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 Mugler and Gautier. So artists were there to, to to absorb and to get ideas, right, about fashion. So I love that. You are now designing fashion, but with this reverence for art and this connection. So you've been DJing fashion shows, creating playlists for fashion shows for many years. Is that how the connection to Come des Garcons happened? Uh,
3: the connection to Come des Garcons happened when I DJed the Met Gala after party for the Punk exhibition mm-hmm. in 2017. And I met Adrian Joffe there. And I approached him because I'm a firm believer in no one's going to choose you. Mm. You have to choose yourself. And when you operate from a place of power, I just ask for what I want. Sometimes people think it's this grand thing. It's like, hey, listen, I have this idea about doing a line that mails music fashion and art and subculture and core culture. And I talked to him about it and he's like, oh, let's have a meeting about it. He came to Berlin. I showed him what I was thinking about doing and he was into it and that's how it started. And we're now four years, almost this year, be four years, October Mm. October 23. Uh, It started in October 2019 and I have been able to work with artists that I love and admire and the next step now is to talk more about trans culture and trans artists and Mm -hmm. and connect those dots because quiet as it's kept the body that is being celebrated in culture now is a trans sex worker body the vernacular that we use comes from trans culture and a black gay vernacular
0: that came up, actually. That that topic, um, I think it was Young Miami, has a lyric. Some rapper has a lyric, I want to look pretty like the transgenders. And this YouTube name, Armand Wiggins, had a conversation. He was like, the, the trans aesthetic is like, for certain in- influencers, has become a thing. And it was very controversial. People called right. in and they weren't having it. And yeah. I think the way to frame it is like the surgery aesthetic. And I think specifically, the way I would have framed it is to talk about, I mean, I think it's the the BBL culture, right? right. So trans girls, Trans girls since the 1960s have been using loose silicone to inject into their hips and breasts to give them curves. Right. And when cis women are injecting the loose silicone now, this is something that trans women have been doing since the 1960s. So it, that, it, with that historical perspective, we can have that conversation. Right.
3: Well, I mean, for me, this is how I like to frame it. Yes. Um... Yes, trans women have done the silicone interventions to feminize their bodies. But, you know, cis women have done surgery to feminize their bodies too. Absolutely. But what happened is that stripper culture became mainstream. Yes. And the girls, the strippers started to, you know, because trans sex workers had to be hyper-feminized for clients, you had to almost become a cartoon of femininity, and so then the strip culture started to see what the trans girls were doing.
0: They would go specifically in Atlanta. The strippers Atlanta. would go to the drag clubs where the trans girls exactly. were working. Were like, how are you getting this body? And then the strippers started going to the same people who yes. were doing the bodies of the trans girls. Exactly. That's the T. That's the T. <laughs> so, so you know,
3: let's really get to why and where it came from. And yet again. I find it so ironic that there's so much violence against trans women when we're actually setting a lot of beauty standards in culture.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's that time again. We'll be right back.
1: Escape to Summer with Victoria's Secret.
0: We are back. There's this um, moment you said, the past, present, and future exist on the same plane. They are here for you to take. Yes. <laughs> do you remember you said that in an interview? Yes. I love that. It's like a quantum theory kind of situation. And I, I live for that. It's physics. Yeah, it's, it's physics. But what's great about that for you and the work that you do is that they're all the influences that you have and you talk about yourself as sort of a jazz musician that you don't plan your sets and that you let what kind of drops in from the universe. And, and when you are in tune with the universe, then there's a different sphere, a quantum sphere that you can operate on. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about or me? Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. So, you know, I really think this constant newness is really just capitalism. Um, you know, we're constantly having to be sold the emperor's new clothes, even though nothing new exists. It's just how you reframe everything. And so Mm -hmm. in physics, there is no past, present, or future. There's just now. And if we're talking about something from the past, it's still Mm -hmm. present because we're talking about it now. And I just feel just because something... Existed before, if there is something we haven't explored in a critical theory way, why not bring that back? Why not reintroduce that? We don't throw something away just because it's not in vogue. You know, and a lot of my work is based on all the people that have died from AIDS. There's so much that was lost. Two generations of the most highly creative people and the audience that appreciated that art and so for me Mm -hmm. i look at that time as like what did we miss what didn't we see because i also love this quote in physics just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist so for me that's a lot of my work is based on and when i dj it's I, i i'm not there it's literally i'm a vessel for the universe to express itself and i just feel that way in every creative area and Everything is here for the taking. You know, we all are on borrowed time and everything that is in this planet, regardless if it was 2,000 years ago or 20 minutes from now, is for us to borrow, digest, appreciate, change. I, I just look at life in a very different way in that respect.
0: I love that. I remember we, um, I think it was when Pyramid closed, you did a post on Instagram and I think I DM'd you about it. And it was like, it was one of those, like when CBGB's closed, it's like, damn, you know, it was one of those, like, New York is just done yeah <laughs> you know, i mean things change and i love that you always talk about like let's not get stuck in the past like yes. because there's lovely things about being who we are right now it that I, this was not possible 20 30 years ago so it's wonderful to be us now but that new york of yesteryear of this creativity of this art of all these different cultures and, and people meshing together in clubs in nightclubs and in art galleries and those things mean something to people. That meant something to me. And I think that, like, there are so many moments that you've created on the dance floor for people that they take with them, that they remember. I, I've had those moments with you mm-hmm. as a DJ. And those... It, it becomes sacred, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it's how you live your life in a way
3: mm. I don't look at the past in a nostalgic way I look in the past in a critical way what can I learn from that time what can I learn from those teachers those mentors those, those shamans that energy you know so when you talked earlier about when I started DJing there's an energy shift that's what I consider myself a vibe shifter but also I'm channeling all of the ancestors that have gone before me and all of the teachers mm-hmm. and the mentors from fashion and art and music we're here to share this life experience 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 together and to learn from each other and to grow and expand. So I can learn something from the highest artist in the world just as much as I can learn from a sex worker from Albuquerque. I don't have this hierarchy when it comes to art. We can all learn from each other and share. Yeah.
0: yeah. I want to talk about, because in an interview you talked about when you discovered Grace Jones and how Mm. it was this moment for you. You had never really seen this Black avant-garde artist before. And I know that you met Grace Jones twice. Oh. And was at the barbershop yes. <laughs> when she was getting her hair cut in the middle of the night. Can you tell us about that meeting with Grace Jones? Because she's such a huge influence for you.
3: Um, well, it was the middle of the night and my friend was like, you should come to the barbershop right now because his partner at the time was cutting Grace's hair. Mm-hmm. And I was literally in bed. And I was like, why? He's like, trust me, come now. I get there and Grace is in the chair getting her hair cut. And I had a come to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. I literally was like, it was so surreal that I got this close to the source of everything for me. Mm-hmm. And she was just, maybe because she was amongst friends, but th- there was no guard. She was mm-hmm. just really funny and really relaxed and really cool. And it was just I mean, I'm getting goosebumps and almost wanting to tear up right now because she means that much to me. But it was just really amazing because everything that I've had a deep love for, I've come into contact with. And I've been able to manifest being in the room or around or or being able to participate in, in things that I genuinely have this deep spiritual connection to. And so meeting her was just unreal and then the second time I met her was when she performed at the Hammerstein Ballroom and I got to go backstage and and it was just mind-blowing and curating this lineup during her takeover at South Bank Center in London, her Grace Jones meltdown was another thing and you know, that's why when I went to the Grammys and I saw you, I was wearing custom Alaya because that was a tribute for me, for Grace because she's literally changed my life and what a Black artist could be. And for me, she was the first non-binary, blacker than black. You know, she's not a traditionally beautiful, well, what society consider I think she's one of the most beautiful women on the planet. Absolutely. But she doesn't fit in, you know, at that time it was, and this is with all due respect, because it's another way, you know, she wasn't a Diana Ross. It wasn't gowns and beads and makeup and wigs and hair. It wasn't that, you know, she had a military cut with squared shoulders, blue black. It was asymmetrical. It was masculine. It was, fem- it was It was like an alien. And for me, getting close to this sort of universal truth where we're stripped away of all the colonized ways of thinking about everything.
0: And she never had a problem with that. She yes. always seemed to understand yes. that she was amazing and I think I think I think about that and when I think about Iman I think it's because she didn't grow up in the United States so she mm-hmm. wasn't colonized in the same way mm-hmm. that Americans are to think less of ourselves if we don't fit some standards she exactly. knew that she was a queen yes and that is just I'm, I mean I'm obsessed with Grace Jones too I know nightclubbing is like a huge song for you from well I guess that's the name of the album nightclubbing um <laughs> yeah
3: it blew my mind and this is what I mean, because, you know, I had the traditional R&B jazz upbringing with my family, but when I got that album and that album cover, the blazer was Armani. Um, So you see how all of the intersectionality with fashion, performance, art, music, she embodied all of those things to me and gave me, as you like to say, role possibilities.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I could talk to you forever. Before my last question, what do you want to say about yourself as an artist, about the world, about house music? What's on your heart that you want to say as we wrap up?
3: I think what is on my heart or what is in my heart when I catch feelings with myself is that I always remember when I was struggling in New York, um, all I wanted to do was to create. I wanted to wake up every day and create. And always have these four things that I used to say, meet, mate, participate, and create. Mm. And I always just wanted to participate in these spaces that I didn't see myself. You know, where did we see ourselves growing up, Laverne? We didn't see ourselves anywhere. All I thought I could do as a trans Black woman was, was... live at night, work in nightclubs, you know, where were we in fashion? Where were we in film? Art directors or creative directors or owning the narrative, all of our stories have been told through the eyes of someone else giving us permission to exist. And for me, I want to be the author of these stories. You know, I want to own my story. I don't need someone else to validate me because I can validate myself. And when I stopped looking outside of myself for permission to be, that's when I started to flourish. So if there's anything that I can leave behind, is to know that you don't need anyone else's permission to exist.
0: Work well that's a great way to end but i'd like to end the podcast with the question what else is true and this comes from my trauma resilience somatic therapy um when things are rough in the world and we're struggling that is true but there's always something else that's true that can get us through that resilient piece yes um when things are hard what's the thing that gets you through so honey fucking dijon for you today what else is true
3: Oh, what else is true? Stop caring what other people think about you because most people don't know what they think about themselves.
0: Oh, that is also true. F. Work. I love you, honey. Oh, thank you. There's something about particularly us Black trans women who've been doing it and who've made contributions. It needs to be documented. We need to be there for each other, supporting each other, loving on each other. And um, I hope you felt the love today. Oh, girl, I'm, yes. Even when we, we don't talk, I hope you feel the love and support. I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you, honey.
3: And in the words of ghosts,
0: Ditto. <laughs> Honey Dijon. Ah, oh, I just love brilliance. What is so beautiful about Honey's story for me is that. There were no spaces, you know, that existed for a Black trans woman to become an internationally renowned DJ and Grammy award-winning producer, but she made those spaces, and she made them because she was and is exceptional. She is so good at what she does that she can't be denied, and that is what I aspire to, be so good at what I do that I can't be denied, and this is what I hope for you that you are so good at what you do that no one can deny you, no matter where you come from, no matter your circumstances, that you can transcend. Mm. Honey Dijon. Thank you so much for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Laverne Cox, and on Facebook at Laverne Cox for real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams.